0: Great to uh, have collision in Toronto with so Welcome many entrepreneurs. Welcome to Toronto, everyone! It's uh, also a truly honor to sit next to our Prime Minister here. I'm very looking forward to our conversation today. And um, as the founder and CEO of Broadband TV, who has uh, built a global uh, leader. Uh, Out of Canada, we had our successes and challenges over the last 14 years, and uh, I would say one of the biggest challenges that we face, and I'm sure many of the leaders, Canadian leaders probably would share this with us, is access to talent. And uh, to be able to actually kind of uh, really access high quality talent quickly enough. When you're looking at November, the unemployment rates reach uh, the lowest point, which is great for our economy, but at the same time, obviously, it's making it more difficult for us to really access uh, the best talent quickly enough. Um, so I would actually love uh, to hear your thoughts, Prime Minister, in terms of what are your plans in investing in our local talent and increasing the steam seats across universities and colleges so we actually kind of really uh, see greater success across Canada and not just the tech industry but as a whole across other industries.
1: Well, there's no question that as the world is changing to being more of a knowledge economy, more tech, more innovative, uh, access to talent is going to be at the core of success for businesses, for economies for entire countries, and that's why Canada, uh, even though we've been a country that has always had great natural resources, and we will continue to, we've always layered onto them innovation and talent on top of it, but that's really come to a head recently as uh, we've determined that the Canadian advantage is in providing extraordinarily well-educated, hardworking, forward-thinking, creative, ambitious uh, Canadians to be part of the global economy. So access to talent obviously uh, comes from immigration and it comes uh, from training up and educating Canadians right. First of all on immigration we've seen we're at a time right now where uh, big countries around the world are Closing themselves off a little more to immigration at a time where Canada is realizing that we need to stay open We need to make sure we're drawing in the best and the brightest from all around the world So one of the things we did was bring in a global skills strategy So at the same time as the United States to give a direct contrast has made it more difficult to bring in global talent uh, into your businesses into your companies We've said, well, you know what? If you're bringing in global talent, you're also creating jobs and opportunities for Canadians. So the, the global Skills strategy gives you two weeks. It'll take two weeks to bring in top talent from around the world in a particular industries. So we know that bringing in great, great immigration from around the world is a big piece of it. But the flip side of it is making sure uh, that we're giving the right opportunities <coughs> to Canadians. Uh, investing in research and innovation, uh, boosting post secondary education, making sure there are more coding programs for elementary and high school kids, making sure that we're ensuring that Canadians see a path for them in the technological, the disrupted future we're part of. There's a lot of anxiety that people are feeling all around the world and it's coming out in all sorts of different ways. Whether it's populism, whether it's nationalism, whether it's it's, uh, 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 protectionism. What we're doing in Canada is making sure that there is room for everyone to succeed. Everyone to feel like there's a path forward for them and their kids. In technology, and That's why we can be investing in AI the way we are. We can be investing in tech the way we are. And it's not a source of anxiety for Canadians because they're being brought along with it. And that's a key part of making sure that there is the talent that global companies need when they want to set up in Canada where we have an incredible diversity that allows you to plug back in right around the world.
0: So you touched on global talent stream, and I would say that as a company, 50% of my leadership team, including myself, we are immigrant, first generation immigrants. And immigration plays a very important role when it comes to, you know, growing the tech sector. Um, but at the same time, you know, speaking of global talent streams, a great program, but the categories of occupation is very limited. It's not as broad. And, um, you know, when you're looking at LMIA and other programs, the, 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 the process time ease of entry and the relevancy of the categorization is not... There, uh, I know that we've made a lot of progress, and we had great success with uh, the programs. And I would love to know what are the steps that we are taking to make sure the same acceleration and process time that we see with the global talent stream. You can see it across, you know, uh, all the application programs that are out there.
1: Well, the Global Talent Program is a small and targeted program for very specific industries. But on top of that, we also take in more immigrants per capita than just about any other Western country in the world. Uh, We take in about 350,000 immigrants a year, uh, knowing uh, that drawing in people from around the world who want to... Build their communities, uh, build a better life for themselves, build opportunities for their kids is a key way uh, to grow. Now we're always looking at uh, ways of facilitating uh, growing our communities, growing our companies, growing our, our workforce. Uh, we're going to always make sure we're doing it in the right way, though. I mean, we need to make sure that we're drawing in people who are going to be able to contribute and grow uh, and that at the same time we keep one thing that's really, really precious and unfortunately a little bit rare right now uh, around the world. Canadians remain positive about immigration. As we see anxieties and worries and people closing in around the world, Canadians know that we get more resilient communities, we get better solutions, we get better innovation when we bring in people from all around the world. That's why Uh, We are doing well at a time even of anxiety. Uh, We've seen the Canadian economy flourish over these past years. We've seen Canadians' confidence increase in their own future. We've seen the lowest unemployment in 40 years, as you pointed out. We've added a million jobs to the economy. And the way we've done that is because we've made sure that there is a clear message, that there is room for everyone to succeed, and there are investments that make sure that everyone has a path to success. It's when you start seeing those digital divides of people excluded that we get into troubles as communities and as, uh, as societies.
0: Um, I think looking at speaking of... (laughs) I think speaking of talent, uh, from my experience, talent wants to live in clean, green and affordable cities. And uh, when you're looking at the tech industries, obviously one of the fastest growing uh, industries, and uh, the demographic within the companies are younger. Uh, and the millennial generation, you know, in Canada overall, will be representing 50% of the population by 2020. And I would love to know what are your plans in terms of having the federal government play more of an active role in making our cities more affordable for the younger tech workforce uh, across. Uh, the cities in Canada?
1: Yeah, that's a, a great question and it reminds me of when I was just starting out as a politician. I went to visit Kitchener-Waterloo's Communitech, which is a great incubator, uh, a great place that is getting all sorts of startups. I was talking to all the various tech companies what is it that a future federal government led by me could do to help you out? What is it that you really need from the federal government? I'm expecting you know, tax credits or research grants or, or immigration stuff, and yes, those came. But the number one thing they said, we need infrastructure. We need a fast train from Kitchener-Waterloo to Toronto. We need to make sure we're investing in connecting people with bricks and mortar so that uh, they can flourish in ecosystems that are creating uh, creating the kind of solutions we need so i said okay um, one of the things we did when we took office four years ago was put forward the largest infrastructure investment plan in Canada's history, about $180 billion over the next ten years that involves uh, you know, high speed uh, high frequency rail, it involves things uh, like, uh, like public transit, investment in community infrastructure, green infrastructure, rebuilding and strengthening our cities and our communities right across the country. The flip side of that, as you talk about affordable, I've spoken with uh, John Tory, the mayor of Toronto, who is just here, uh, or is here today, um, a number of times, we see an issue where it's harder and harder for millennials to actually be able to buy their first homes. Uh, and they're delaying their entrance into sort of the home ownership, equity building phase of their lives. And that's something that we tangibly wanted to turn around. So we created something called the First Time Home Buyers Incentive, which basically is a no-fee, no-interest mortgage It's going to reduce... Uh, people's first uh, home purchase mortgage payments uh, by hundreds of dollars a month. So there's tangible things we're doing to make cities more livable. On top of that, we've done things like Smart Cities Challenge to try and spur innovation and we're investing in the kind of social Innovation, infrastructure, things like a Canada child benefit, things like increasing seniors benefits, uh, Canada workers benefit, Canada training benefits, the kinds of things that are going to allow people to actually feel like there is room for them to succeed in our communities, in our cities, while we're building a better future. We can't just race forward into the future for a few with the tech brilliance we have in this room and sort of shrug at everyone who's being left behind. You can't do that and be uh, a solid, stable country or society. You need to bring people along, and that's the balancing act and the investments we're making on both sides of that to make sure that everyone can see themselves reflected in a stronger future.
0: Thank you for that. Um, so we, we all know that funding is a key factor in uh, terms of building companies and you know scaling businesses. And uh, when I started my business, uh, the landscape was very different, and financing was definitely a challenge. And you know things have changed significantly since then. Uh, you look at 2018. We had 3.7 billion of VC uh, money that was uh, dispersed across Canadian companies, which is great and is a signal for maturity. But at the same time, when you're looking around, you know, in the tech sector. And a billion-plus or 10 billion-plus market cap companies, we still have a long way to go, and we need to build a much stronger and healthier ecosystem so we would actually have the next Amazon, Google, and Microsoft build out of Canada. And at the same time, the federal government supports many other industries, you know, through grants, other incentives, you know, tax deferrals, tax credits. Uh, Knowing that our industry is growing faster and creating more jobs, Uh, How can we uh, have the federal government providing similar benefits and advantages uh, to the tech community?
1: Uh, The fact is no government has ever invested as much in the tech sector, in innovation, in research, as this government over the past four years, because we know it is an essential path to the future. Uh, whether it's uh, having invested uh, hundreds of millions of dollars in uh, in venture capital uh, in frameworks, whether it's making sure that we're investing in research, in fundamental science, uh, in things like AI, and we did about $125 million direct for AI right across the country. Uh, we've created super clusters, which are hundreds of millions of dollars, We know that investing in universities, in research, in innovation, in training are the kinds of things that are going to give us the best returns in the future. So those are investments that we've made and we will continue to make because we have seen a lot of, actually, we've spent a lot of time trying to compete uh, with Silicon Valley or watching, you know, Canadian innovators head down to the Bay Area to try and succeed. And what we've seen over the past few years is increasingly people are coming back for the quality of life, for the stability, for the access to global talent through our immigration, uh, through uh, the livable cities, through all the different things we're doing. Plus, a lot of people are bringing a lot of capital back with them uh, from Silicon Valley because people are realizing there are a lot of amazing opportunities to invest here in Canada. We have a number of big companies that decided to return to Canada, come to Canada. Thomson Reuters, a few years ago, moved its global headquarters from the United States back to Canada, uh, where it it is flourishing because of the access to talent, because of the innovative ecosystems. We are really seeing that that this is one of those places where where the, the mix of opportunity, of diversity, which I sort of glossed over. Earlier, We know that when you have different perspectives, different backgrounds, different stories coming together to work on the same problem, um, you get much better, more more, uh, robust and resilient solutions. So the fact that Canada is a country that has always embraced diversity, uh, and we know uh, that it is a source of strength, never a source of weakness, has given us a real advantage as uh, we look at that competitive investment environment that more and more people are looking at Canada for.
0: Do you think we're doing as much as what we're doing with the other industries? Like, you know, knowing that again, you know, some of the stable industries like oil, gas, forestry, mining, you know, they do have access to more subsidies what does it take for us to actually have the tech sector you know getting to a place that would have access to a similar scale of benefits
1: well i think every sector is different it has has a need for different things we are failing at phasing out uh, all the uh, all the extra help we're giving to the oil and gas sector for example because we know we got to move towards a a lower carbon economy uh, so every sector will respond to the needs what i hear most clearly from the tech sector in the needs are making sure they have access to capital, making sure they have access to talent, and making sure they have access to procurement opportunities. And those are the kinds of things that we're moving forward quickest on. I have no no uh, difficulty Having confidence in the tech sector's ability to create success, to generate wealth, to create opportunities, we just need to make sure that the infrastructure is there for you to be able to succeed. So we will always uh, support the tech sector as, as much as it needs to, recognizing that the impacts of the tech sector you know go through the entire economy, and therefore the benefits need to be felt throughout the economy as well.
0: You touched on the, the VC community and uh, part of it, you know, in terms of the programs that are in place from you know, VCCI, VCAA, uh, $400 million in terms of, you know, uh, collaboration with the VC community. I want to know what are the steps that, you know, you plan on taking in further bolstering the VC community so we can scale the business and going back to building, you know, much larger, uh, you know, 10 billion market cap businesses.
1: I think we've recognized that one of the really big challenges in Canada is getting from that, you know, $10 $10 million, $200 million size of company. I mean, there's there's such a tendency now, not just in Canada, but around the world, you know, to reach that you know, particular moment and then sell out to a much bigger company and retire. Um, that has been a model for a little while. We're, we're really looking at how we can make sure that people have the confidence in their own abilities, in their own abil- in their own. Success and in the ecosystem that's going to support them to make them say, No, you know what? I don't want to sell out to a Google or a Microsoft or or a big company. I want to build the platform here in Canada. (coughs) That is the path that we're working hardest on right now. And the factors that go into that isn't just the government saying, Here, here's some money, you can now succeed. It is actually creating an environment for you to be able to succeed, where you have that access to calendar, where you have that access to global markets. I mean, just in terms of, of, of trade, Canada is now the only G7 country with a free trade deal with every other G7 country. We have preferred access to two-thirds of the global GDP right from Canada. Obviously, access down south with the uh, uh, renewed NAFTA that we're in the process of moving forward on, Uh, access to Europe with uh, the CETA, the Canada-Europe Free Trade Agreement, Um, and then access to Asia with the CPTPP, uh, and it's continuing to grow. We're going to continue to make sure that Canadian companies have privileged access to the world's markets in a very positive way, because that kind of trade uh, ends up flourishing, uh, benefiting all Canadians, and that's that's the argument that we've been making, and we've been seeing it happen as our economy is growing, growing faster than uh, uh, many other countries. We've one of the lowest debt to GDP ratios, uh, stable legal system, stable uh, banking system. The kinds of things uh, that people are looking for in a world of uncertainty, Canada is providing and continuing to build on.
0: So, speaking of. In terms of investments, and touching on uh, foreign direct investments, uh, we know that 1.9 million Canadians are employed by foreign-controlled entities, and that is one in eight Canadians. Um, and you know, when you're looking at the numbers from 2008 to 2018, uh, Canada, as being a, a you know international hub for business, has attracted 824 billion dollars. Uh, and when you're looking at you know the year-over-year growth from 2017 to 2018, uh, that was 60 percent growth rate in comparison to what we saw across the globe, that was down by 20 percent. So clearly, Canada is very attractive for investments. Um, And I want to ask you this question, what is your elevator pitch for companies that want to grow their business out of Canada, why should they choose Canada?
1: Uh, Access to global markets through our free trade deals, uh, access to incredible talent through uh, our great education system and our immigration system. Uh, strong, resilient communities that embrace within them the diversity of the entire world, that understands how to be part of global markets, global supply chains, a quality of life that is based on on being there for our neighbours and leaning on each other. Something about the winters here makes us understand we have to lean on each other to make it through them. Uh, But more than that, we understand... Uh, that, you know, standing up for each other's rights and creating strong societies doesn't need uh, politics of division and attack, can bring people together. This is a good place to set down roots, this is a good place to build a company, it's a good place to build a future. We've got socioeconomic, economic uh, fiscal, banking, uh, legal stability uh, that is, you know, world class, uh, and, uh, we're a country, uh, qu'il fait dans les deux langues en plus, donc on a l'accès uh, à, à la planète en français en anglais. We have access to the planet, French and English.
0: It would also be great for us to maybe talk about uh, organizations like Invest in Canada that were put in place to really uh, facilitate, promote, and accelerate investment in Canada. Um, What do you see uh, as the role of those organizations and the importance of those organizations in terms of increasing foreign direct investment?
1: Well, I think one of the things that that people are looking for, I mean, there was a a time where, uh, you know, massive tax breaks to get you to move to this particular community or that community uh, was driving a lot of decisions. I think people are now making decisions uh, slightly on a more quality basis, slightly on a longer term basis. And what we've realized is even though Canada already has one of the top uh, ratings in terms of ease of doing business, ease of starting a business in Canada, uh, lowest small business taxes uh, in the G7, uh, the lowest uh, startup capital costs, of, uh, of the lowest overall tax burden on new businesses, uh, even compared to the United States. We've got a lot of advantages. What people often need is a one-stop shop to help them navigate through starting a new business. One-stop shop is going to connect with all the different government agencies, uh, set you up locally, guide you in the process of investing in Canada and creating uh, a new office, a new space. That's what the Invest in Canada Hub is all about. It's about making sure that you have that support, that concierge service, while you are about to invest and draw on the extraordinary Canadian talent that you're looking at uh, harnessing for the future of your company.
0: Great. So as a female entrepreneur, I'm very much so passionate about gender pay, and I'm very proud to say that gender pay at BBTV is 0%. Um, and we you know that half the population of the planet are women, and more than half the women don't have their own income. That is a quarter of the potential workforce that could be contributing to stronger economies. Now, closing the gender pay gap will contribute $28 trillion to global GDP, which is a 26% increase. In Canada, that will have a $150 billion impact by 2026. And I would actually like to ask the leaders in this room that don't actually practice uh, gender pay and that don't have a 0% gender pay gap to really think about why that is the case and do something about it today. That said... thought you're a global leader on this issue, Canada is a global leader on this issue, but it seems that it's taking too long for us to really experience significant improvements. What does it take to have men and women get paid equally in Canada? And how can we accelerate the process?
1: We, we are seeing significant improvements but you're absolutely right. It's one of those things where uh, uh, even even with all the work we've done over the past few years uh, the pay equity gap in Canada is, is largely than some, some countries and you wouldn't think we'd have larger gaps then. That's why we're working on closing it. Uh, we moving, we're moving forward with a proactive pay equity le- regime uh, that is going to transform that in a in a very active way that, that we're very excited about. But that's something we moved forward with just last year. We also know that making sure there are opportunities for women uh, in all levels, uh, including in the C-suite, is essential if you want to succeed. It's not just a moral, right thing to do. We've now seen it's the smart thing to do. We know that diversity and resilience go together. We know that having uh, 40, 50, 60% women on your board, in your organization, leads to better outcomes and increasingly Companies are understanding that and moving forward in a very aggressive way. Uh, We've put in specific uh, investments uh, for women entrepreneurs. Uh, Part of the VC funding goes specifically towards uh, access to capital for women startups, for women-led startups and companies. We know that that's one of the easy ways to massively boost our output is to empower uh, too many of these women who've been just uh, left aside because of the, uh, the, 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 the patterns uh, that have led for too long in so many industries, including the tech industry. We know that empowering women to succeed makes it better for everyone. That's why Canada's going to keep doing it.
0: by talking about digital trust, I know that you were in Paris last week and you met with other global leaders alongside head of tech companies uh, around discussions uh, uh, with respect to Christchurch and you unveiled your digital charter focusing on three areas from uh, data ownership, uh, privacy protection and dissemination of hate online and that you did say that platforms that do not comply will have a heavy penalty. And as a tech leader, obviously we would love to have clear guidelines and where we would receive clear guidelines from all the global leaders. Um, And I do believe that a country-specific plan would be very difficult and unrealistic to implement. So what do you think is the role of the government and the tech community in working together to keep our citizens safe around the globe? I think you've just highlighted.
1: I think it's all about working together. I mean, yes, governments can lay out guidelines and recommendations and indeed penalties if we have to, but we'd much rather be able to work with tech companies, we'd much rather be able to work with platforms to make sure citizens are safe, to make sure their data is safe, make sure that the kind of uh, online... Uh, aggression, uh, terrorism, uh, disinformation, nastiness that you wouldn't allow in a public space, you wouldn't allow in a, in a real space, shouldn't be happening when people spend so much more time in virtual spaces. Now, we all know we need to protect freedom of speech, we need to make sure we're protecting people's rights, but... We always have to find that balance. We always have to make sure we're protecting rights and keeping people safe at the same time, physically in the real world, but increasingly in the virtual world. And governments, as you all know, uh, take a long time to adjust to new realities. And that's why working in partnership with the platforms, with the tech companies, uh, to reassure citizens who, quite frankly, are really worried. People know that they have a tremendous amount of data that's vulnerable out there. People know uh, that their kids are exposed to God knows what on the internet. They need to know that they have partners out there in governments, sure, but also within the platforms and the tech companies as well that are thinking about how we create a safe and flourishing and growing society. We need to leave room for innovation. We need to leave room for challenging disruptions. But we have to make sure at the same time that we're keeping people safe. And the only way we're gonna do that is by having frank and open conversations with uh, the big platforms, with the tech companies, with all of you about how we're gonna ensure that the way we move forward into this brave new world of technology and solutions Um, is a way that keeps people safe as we move forward. I'm excited about having these conversations. I've launched some great conversations with uh, a number of big uh, tech leaders, Uh, and I know that all of us want to be part of building a better future, that's why we're here. We just have to think about all the different aspects of that better future, and that's something that Canada is gonna lead in as well.
0: So we just ran out of time, but I wanted to see if you have any additional thoughts or comments. We covered a range of topics, and it's been great to hear your thoughts on all these topics. Do you think we left anything out?
1: I'm just really excited to welcome you all to Toronto, to Canada. I tell you you're going to have a great few days. I challenge you to think big, uh, to challenge each other, but also think about the kind of communities, the kind of world that you're going to be building with the technologies that you're leading. And as you do that, as you lead your way forward, as you create tremendous success for you and your companies. Try and think about how you're making sure to bring along the rest of society with you. Because if we don't succeed together, uh, we're all going to fail separately.
0: Thank you so much, my minister.